0: Karis and I also recognize how you all work aclo- across a lot of platforms, too. So, uh, Professor Du, um, I've watched um, your short film, Lost, on oh my and you, edit, <laughs> um, you know, books and working with Nightmare Magazine and Horror Noir and doing like historical work as well. And um, Dr. Thomas working in different affinity groups and online spaces of fandom. And restoring as a way uh, to kind of write yourself into existence in these different spaces. Um, Maybe just speaking a little bit more about writing and scholarship, and you know, in addition to
1: uh, subgenre in all these spaces as well. That is a fantastic question and a highly relevant one because there are so many emerging platforms, whether even it's like, say, narrative audio, which isn't really emerging. It's what we started with radio, with telling stories over the radio, but we're going back now. And that's one of my favorite um, platforms is to just listen to radio um, fiction. Uh, convince me that I'm somewhere I'm not. Take me to the moon. Take me to Mars, you know, um, that is diversifying. It could be a lot more diversified, but I, I can hear more people who sound like they might be black than I ever heard in those 1950s <laughs> ones or that you would want to hear, because if you did hear them, it was never in a, in a positive way. <laughs> um, and in terms of film, I personally, um, from about the time I started publishing and producers were coming to me to try to option my work for film, mm-hmm. and they would languish and the projects would never get made, I realized, I needed to learn screenwriting. I decided uh, that I, and that's really delayed me with my last novel. I'm still writing novels. I have a, okay. a novel I'm working on now, yeah. but I, 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 I executive produced horror noir, and I feel very, very strongly that film is an important part of this piece because sometimes when our stories do get adapted and do get told, Producers and studios are using those writers that are right in their circle who may not even be black and sometimes that works But but often in fact for the most part I think it's much much better if you can get creators who are represented on the screen behind the scenes to tell the story Because they're not going to rely as much on tropes. They're not going to rely as much on sort of stereotypes and casual relationships There is more of a mission from those creators of color than sometimes if it's just, hey, let's make these characters Black because Black is in, as the character famously said in Get Out. You know? <laughs> so that you can feel the difference of the tenor. Um, and I do think that that, Screenwriting takes time to learn. It's a difficult, it's a difficult medium. It, it has the, the writing component. You have to learn the, the formatting. There's a social component in terms of networking. There's a presentation component in terms of pitching. So it's a lot to me more difficult than just sitting in my office and writing, you know, a 500 page novel to my own taste as opposed to have at every turn, you have to get this outline approved and that outline approved and the whole committee has to agree. It's very, very different, but I think it's essential really, because films stand the test of time in a way that's different than books. It's not that books aren't valid and books don't stand the test of time, but there is just something so accessible about bringing people to a screen, a small screen, a big screen to have a story told to them that way. Mm
2: Yeah, I totally agree. Um, And one of the things that um, I think film and television can do, you know, both original and adaptation is to bring our creatives into this kind of lucrative, um, you know, almost billion dollar, um, not only merchandising space, not saying that everything should be merchandised, but as someone coming from fan communities and thinking about, you know, the big shows, the comic cons. Um, mm-hmm. One um, black YA fantasy author um, who I was at San Diego Comic Con with mentioned that we were at a gathering of fans of color, but we were all fans of um, majority or, you know, predominantly white material. And so she said, well, what would it take? For um, black creators to have, you know, a Game of Thrones sized fandom or a Marvel-sized fandom or a fandom, you know, like around the walking dead. And I I think um, you're you're exactly um, correct that the adapt both original film and television and adaptation, so that screenwriting piece can just expand the audience. Um, for some of these things much much greater than um, what you know um, you know maybe just the book or the comic could do but then even thinking about the politics around who gets selected to be adapted so I'm really looking forward to seeing um, you know who fears death and the Broken Earth trilogy, both of which are optioned. I hope those come, you know, to, you know, to screen very soon. But, you know, my question is, how come we still don't have a, an adaptation of um, um, of Octavia's work? Mm-hmm. How come we, you know, I mean, I know that's on in the works. Um, I'm thinking about your work and reading it, you know, in undergrad and thinking about, like, you know, I'm looking at who gets adapted and who, you know, gets sort of that push and what kinds of speculative stories are seen as, you know, fodder for, you know, the big HBO or, um, you know, Paramount or whatever, the Hollywood treatment and which ones don't. And I think it's very, you know, it's very telling that only some stories are seen as universal while others are seen as just specific that they're Um, just for just for black folks yeah and not only just for black folks only for the black folks that are blurred or into science fiction fantasy horror um comics before the marvel era etc so that's always been frustrating
1: you are absolutely right in terms of adaptation and who gets adapted and who's making those decisions because I just remember literally pitch meetings where we would pitch, say, The Good House, mm-hmm. uh, which is my uh, haunted house possession novel. And the executive would say, oh, love that pitch. Do the characters have to be black? Or one executive who, who said to be my, my soul to keep is about an immortal African. And the executive was also like, yeah, we had a meeting. We were like trying to decide, does he have to be Black? And I was thinking, well, he was Ethiopian and enslaved. And I'm not sure. Because there really was that fear that if you put Black actors in this story, it will have a very limited appeal. They did not think it was enough appeal to be worth the while. And it really did take uh, a get out by Jordan Peele and a Black Panther by Ryan Coogler, which covers horror and, you know, sort of fantasy comic book to open those floodgates. And A, I've never had so much work either under consideration for option or the paperwork is being negotiated at the same time. But beyond that, I have studios and executives reaching out to me and producers on a fairly regular basis. I wanna say almost one a week, but certainly, you know, like they have a black horror project that's already set up the studio already wants to do it. They need a writer and they're interviewing writers. That has never been my experience. <laughs> okay. Wow. You deserve
2: so, it. Yes. Things have
1: really, oh, really, really changed, you know, whether we land the gigs or is another matter, but, but you can't land the gig if you're not in the room. And too often we haven't even been in the room. So the the memo has gotten out that they need to look outside of their usual corners and their, their usual contacts to find new artists and new voices to tell these stories, which is a hugely, hugely positive thing. Good.
0: shifting into our last question, we are also thinking about this podcast as a way to kind of organize and celebrate emerging voices. So um, just taking a moment to mention who are folks right now who are inspiring your thinking? Who should we read? Who should we cite? Who should we amplify? How do we um, create space for that?
1: I'll I'll just jump in with a couple names that came to mind first, that I find exciting um, new artists. One is River Solomon, who wrote a novel called An Unkindness of Ghosts, which is science fiction, but told in a way you've never read any kind of science fiction before. And, and the other one is, is, is better known, um, Tomi Adiani, who did, you know, Children of Blood and Bone. I just find her to be incredibly exciting. I was listening to the audiobook during my commute, just cheering along uh, to her story. Um, and, and yeah, so those are two new artists, young artists that I find very, very exciting.
2: And in um, young adult fantasy, um, we've had um, a number of just incredible um, Black women who have just burst onto the scene over the past couple of years. So um, just running down just a few names, um, there's Danielle Clayton who wrote The Bells, there's Justina Ireland who wrote Dread Nation, um, L.L. McKinney, her Black Alice um, duology, A Blade So Black and a dream so dark um and um you've already mentioned tomi me, um adiyemi's children of blood and bone i just read um a book um titled ray bearer that will be out this spring by um jordan ifayuko um and um that's also a west african inspired fantasy and then finally um not to um, be outdone i mean to um black men who have written amazing books are Tochi who's written war girls and, um, riot baby and a few others. And then, um, beast made of night. I love that title. And then finally there's, um, uh, Kwame Mbalia, who actually made um, Coretta Scott King history, was he? Um, his um, book, Tristan Strong punches a hole in the sky, is the first time I saw a little book boy on the cover next to John Henry in this sort of Rick Riordan, Percy Jackson esque, um, you know, um, African gods versus you know African diaspora gods scenario. So. Um, yeah, the, the, the landscape, the literary landscape has never looked brighter. I mean, I am super excited about them as well as so many others that are on the horizon.
1: In fact, there's one more I want to mention. I thought of, uh, not as a very well-known writer. Um, oh my God, the name Kai Ashanti Wilson did an amazing horror novella for TOR, which is free online called The Devil in America and I don't scare anybody. when I was reading that on my um, computer in the backyard, a, a, a leaf rustled by my ear and I almost jumped out of my, my skin because it was so scary. And, and using those elements of American history, and which is a lot of what I, of what I do is blending because in horror noir, I say black history is black horror. And what I mean by that is not our inventions and our triumphs. I'm talking about our suffering, our torture, our uh, being uh, wrested away from our families and, and, and having our years stolen away from us. So that is a horror. So I, I try in my work to find ways to weave the real life horror with the supernatural in a way that, you know, aspiring to be like what, what Toni Morrison was able to do with Beloved, which is to help you feel what it was like to have been enslaved. That's the whole you create the supernatural as a way to sort of bypass our rational receptors and create an an, uh, an impression of what something would have felt like, right, and the devil in America tackles the the topic of mass uh like the Tulsa bombing, but on a smaller scale like where where communities just get attacked, black communities were attacked, people are killed it's mindless mindless violence uh you have to take a sociology course and a history course to sort of understand it even in context because it's just horrible it doesn't make sense and the supernatural can sometimes step in to make it make sense wow right so that's what what he does extraordinarily well in the devil in america and that's what i'm trying to do i'm striving to do that in my novel in progress which is called the reformatory Mm -hmm. which is set in 1950 jim crow florida about a haunted reformatory where Again, the supernatural is stepping in place of some of the more horrific, like acts like sexual abuse and rape and things that I don't want to write my characters into. Right? So instead, you use the supernatural as a way to capture the feeling of the place. Wow,
2: that's incredible. Yeah.
0: Wow. Thank you so much. So many things that I want to go read right now. <laughs> Except <laughs> that one's not out yet. Yeah. Um, no. so- so <laughs> um, is there, a, our last question is, is there anything else you want to tell the audience or any words of inspiration or charges um, for the people listening to the podcast?
1: Well, for those of you who are, are teachers in whatever capacity, um, even though genre bias is diminishing somewhat, I'm sure it still does exist. Uh, Dr. Robin means Coleman, who wrote the book Horror Noir that our documentary was based on actually had to fight to write that book. She didn't even really get credit toward her tenure. She almost had to write it in her spare time because it was not recognized as a weighty enough uh, field of research, which is changing, but but isn't completely obliterated. So for those of you who are educators or who are in a position of influence, whether it's on academic committees, uh, when you're looking at your own syllabi, Don't forget about the power of speculative fiction. If you're teaching creative writing, even if you don't feel like you know how to write fantasy or you know how to write horror, as an MFA instructor, which I was for many, many years, I would tell my students, good writing is good writing. And whether or not you enjoy reading fantasy or horror, you can instruct your students on whether uh, their craft skills are up to par, whether you believe in these characters, you know is there suspense in the story don't be quick to dissuade students from writing their hearts if their hearts lie in speculative fiction and sometimes it's a matter of us as educators educating ourselves
2: mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I, I agree with that 100%. I also want to encourage your listeners who are um, aspiring researchers and scholars to know that, you know, please come in. The water is is warm and it is inviting. We need um, all hands on deck. We need more people who are thinking about this stuff and theorizing this stuff. Um, You know, I'm so um, thrilled to um, be um, thinking about this alongside people like Dr. Kanitra Brooks, um, you know, Professor Er Andre Carrington, who wrote Speculative Blackness. Um, We have also new and emerging scholars of the next generation. One I want to mention and shout out is Dr. Stephanie Polliver, whose work is on Afrofuturism, and she's done a wonderful dissertation study. And I'm super excited to see her emerge into the field. And just um, just because you see me or, and Stephanie working in this space doesn't mean that we don't need another 10, 20 plus um, dissertations within the next dissert, uh, within the next decade um, to help us think about transforming the classroom space um, and to think about transforming educational research and what counts as research not only in education but also in the humanities and the social sciences because um, what we do is so important in these speculative. Genres because, um, you know, this is what shapes imagination. This is at the deepest part of us. And imagination shapes consciousness and consciousness shapes politics of the world around us. So it's super important for uh, um, folks to feel um, free to join um, these conversations.